G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Pre-Round 20 Podcast. Uh, I'm Rowan Connolly, I'm crook as a dog, but I'm soldering on. How are you, Mark Fine? I'm well, um, tell you what, it's, it's certainly bracing in the mornings here in Melbourne. You could almost be sure if the sun is out, it's cold, so hopefully we can warm up your mornings and... Uh, Keep the sun shining throughout the day for you. Well, I, you can see your breath right at the moment, and it's not a pretty sight in my case. Let's get right into it. A um, couple of things on the agenda. wanted to talk about Sam Mitchell. That's become a bit of an issue. So Sam Mitchell leaves Hawthorne, goes to the West Coast, plays for a year, signs a three-year coaching deal a year in. Uh, he wants to go home for personal reasons, and it's caused, um, obviously, West Coast a bit of grief. Uh, it's probably causing him a fair bit of grief, and uh, there's a, a queue of interested suitors upon his return. Um, I want to talk just about the, I guess, the morality of this decision. How should it be handled? What, what are your immediate thoughts? Well, what really can a club do? And in the case of the West Coast Eagles, obviously there was a heck of an investment in bringing Sam Mitchell over. I don't think the investment was in the year of football that he played. It was in him going on and becoming a coach and imparting on the West Coast Eagles much of that um, team philosophy that brought Hawthorne three consecutive premierships. But, look, once an individual mentions matters outside football, family issues and we don't need to delve. And either can a club really delve, can they? No. I mean, that is the problem. So uh, whether it's the tyranny of distance, Western Australia and Melbourne and um, Sam and his partner, his wife and family, obviously have a strong pull back to Victoria. I just think it's unfortunate. But once that becomes a factor, a club has to understand that football is not the be-all and end-all in an individual's life. Yeah, no, spot on. I, I, I was going to make the point. I mean, you'd think West Coast has made them privy to what the situation is. And, yeah, I, family's always got to come first. It, some interesting suggested solutions. Now, it's been reported West Coast might think about holding him to the contract but having him work out of a Melbourne office, which sort of defeats the purpose of having him as an assistant coach, I would have thought. They're not going to get nearly as much value out of him trying to coach remotely from half the, the country away. Um, Eddie Maguire piped in yesterday and talked about, you know, some sort of transfer fee to be paid if he went somewhere else. I just want to throw this up there and see, how do you think it would be regarded if, and is it laughable to think there could be some sort of gentleman's agreement whereby... Okay, he he came back home, but other clubs sort of agreed to hands off for two years because that was the length of time West Coast signed him up for. It seems unfair. Or it seems impractical. Yeah, that would be possibly a... Well, some clubs, let's just say, 
Collingwood. Eddie Maguire philosophically said that this was unfair to the West Coast Eagles and did not throw their head in the ring for his services. Maybe, and they're a club actually that could really use Sam Mitchell, I would have thought. Mm. A club like um, St Kilda, for example, that have telegraphed the fact that they are going to stick with Ross Lyon but are looking at the end of the season to change the coaching lineup, a la Richmond, when Damien Hardwick was under pressure, would be considered a strong suitor, and they need that change now. They don't need that change two years from now. It, it's To me, it's impractical. Look, this is not... It's not the desired route. It's not anything that Sam would have wanted to happen. It's certainly not what West Coast wanted to happen. But the suggestion that he be held to a, a contract and forced to work out of Victoria in a very much a, a minor role or that he's ineligible to work for an AFL club for the duration of the West Coast contract really suggests that there is not a genuine reason for him moving back. Now, I want to hear, I want to see the football person, Eddie Maguire or anybody from any other club, put their hand up and call Sam Mitchell on this, call shenanigans and say that this is disingenuous and you shouldn't be part of football until your contract runs up at the West Coast Eagles. Nobody's going to do that, so shut up and let him get on with his business. Yeah, look, it really is a, a, a tough one, isn't it? I think we've, we've got better at sort of showing sensitivity towards people's um, personal issues and, you know, given we have no idea what those issues are, um, you've got to tread very carefully. I think it's safe to say at the very least it's a, a massive loss to West Coast because... I reckon his imprint on them this year is quite profound already in, in a couple of ways. One, the midfield group is a lot more resilient. I think it, um, you've seen obvious improvement in two guys in particular, Jack Redden and Mark Hutchings. But um, perhaps even above that, um, their capacity to win on the road. Um, now, they okay, admittedly, they were pretty horrible in Hobart last weekend, but I was so impressed with that win over Collingwood at the MCG, primarily because they played the MCG so well. I remember that game. They really used the whole width of the ground. And it's pretty hard not to think that Sam Mitchell hasn't had a big influence there, given the amount of football and successful football he's played on the MCG. So it really is one case where you're looking at one particular assistant coach and going, geez, this guy's made a huge difference. So in that regard, it, it would be a massive loss for him. So be thankful for the impact he's had and show that in gratitude by facilitating his move back home because obviously it's important to his family's welfare and the future of his marriage. Yeah. And and look, I, he's an interesting character, Sam, isn't he? He, he sort of polarises people. I think a lot of people think he's pretty arrogant. Um, I think people that actually know him and deal with him uh, feel very kindly disposed towards him, you know. And he's he's had an interesting sort of path to AFL footy, an interesting background. I remember interviewing him. Oh, this has got to be ten years ago, I reckon. But him talking about um, not the trouble he got into, but he was knocking around with kids who ended up getting into a lot of trouble, and who's life choices um, proved to their detriment and he had to sort of extract himself out of that group, which at that age, you know, sort of shows a fair bit of um, 
determination. So uh, I like him. I like him, and I like. I think it's easy to mistake his confidence in a confidence with arrogance. Sometimes it's a very fine line. I think in every sense, whether it's playing with Sam Mitchell or having him as part of your uh, football club's f- football off off field team, whether it's in um, match day or any aspect. Of Sam Mitchell and football, it's been proven you're better off with him than against him. All right, let's leave that there. Hopefully, they can resolve something to everyone's satisfaction. Bit hard to see how that's going to happen, but uh, you never know. I want to put something else on the agenda, Fonny. Now, I won't claim that this has been uh, dominating headlines, or certainly not in Melbourne, maybe in Perth. But I reckon, I, I reckon we need to start questioning the validity of Fremantle's alleged rebuild and exactly where they're going. Because I look at them and I just think this rebuild is now into its third year. They probably sort of changed tack about halfway through 2016. And I don't see really many profound results from it. And I think they're really not a lot more advanced than they were. Um, So give us your take on it. And then I've just got a few figures I want to throw up. Okay, I'm, I get a sense, and this is going to be pretty damning on Ross Line, that this club almost emotionally, um, sort of spiritually and, and with intent, has very little purpose and is almost, you know, just in, in a holding pattern when Nat Fife, Sanderland's aren't playing, definitely Nat Fife. So it's been very much a case of last year where Nat Fife, you know, barely had a season. It was a season almost wasted, I would say. I don't think we saw the development particularly of any next generation of leaders or, or match winners at Fremantle. They started positively this year, but that was with Fife on board. And in this latter third of the season, with Nat Fife going down injured again, we're unlikely to see him for the rest of the year. He may play one game at the end of the year, but I wouldn't be surprised if the queue's in the rack. This team seems to have pulled up short again. Now, I know that at his time at St Kilda, Ross Lyon very much based St Kilda's power when they were a leading contender for a premiership around a core of six to eight star players and had role players thereafter. And that's why uh, St Kilda only ever got a couple of games out of Tom Lynch, who went to Adelaide. Reece Stanley was never developed, etc. And I get a feeling once again, and I think the players know it, that without our stars, we ain't. And that, to me, is... <laughs> that's not going to develop anything, is it? Yeah, I, I don't think they've been fully committed to it. I reckon they've tried to have a Bob each way, which I reckon you've just touched on. Here's a couple of figures. So... They finished on top of the ladder, 2015. Easy to forget that. Since then, they've won 19 out of 62 games. So their performance has been pretty terrible. Won eight last year. They've only won seven so far this year, so it's probably going to end up around the same mark. I went through the list, though, since 2016. Now, 2016, last year and this season, 19 players have debuted for Fremantle in that time, but seven of them have been this year. So in the previous two seasons, they had only 12 debutants. Of those 12 debutants, there are only six left. Yep. So they've ploughed through, you know, like that indicates to me that they've 
thrown in kids that they haven't been sure on, and some of them haven't cut the mustard. So the guys who debuted in the previous two seasons who are left are Brennan Cox, Sean Darcy, Griffin Logue, Ryan Nyhaas, Luke Ryan, and Darcy Tucker. Sean Darcy, I reckon, shows plenty of promise, but he's been compromised by the presence of Sandilands. Brennan Cox has shown some really good signs, but he's tailing off. Griffin Logue's injured. I'm not convinced on Nyhaas. Luke Ryan's been really good. Darcy Tucker, not really convinced on him. At the same time as this, they've traded in, continued to trade in senior players from other clubs. Hamling and Brad Hill have been successes. McCarthy, Kirsten and Bennell, big bust. Now, Harley Bennell still only played two games and he was traded in at the end of 2015. So I think they've got some real issues here. Ross Lyon contracted for another two seasons. Um, can they afford to go on like this for another two seasons? My argument would be not. I think the way they play footy chops and changes too. They got smashed in the first two games of last year, threw in some kids and started playing a more attacking brand and looked quite good. And then when they started winning, they seemed to go conservative again. This year... Their record on the road is disastrous. They've won one and lost seven on the road. There are games, and we've talked about it, when it looks like they're not even having a crack. They just write it off as a loss. So something's got to give there, and I don't know if it's the coach, the list manager, or someone's got to really lay down the law and say as a whole club, we're not actually, we haven't actually been walking the walk here. We've got to start doing that. Really, from an outsider's perspective... Isn't the big question player development? Isn't that what a rebuild's all about, Rowan? Yep. Who have they developed? I, I'm trying to think of players outside, of obviously, Fife and Lockie Neal and maybe the Hills, who another club would really be hot, you know, hot to trot to get. Look, Ed Langdon's come along. Well, he's the one. He's the one. I, th- I think he's the one of all those kids they've brought in. But he actually debuted in 2015, so that was out of the bounds of that period I was talking about. Anybody else that you'd, um, you'd come, a club would come hot for? I've probably missed one there. But that's a story in itself, isn't it? That they they seem to be pretty interchangeable. A lot of those younger Freo guys. That doesn't that strike at the heart of poor development that they've sort of been developed to a point where they can pull on the purple and white, but they haven't really kicked on from them. Yeah, and I, I think their trading's been disastrous, really. I mean, you look at, say, Sydney and Geelong, clubs that have rebuilt on the run, if you like that phrase, um, but the difference between them and Frio is that they had a larger core of consistently performing senior players. I think Frio's tried to do it, but they haven't had a strong enough foundation to be able to do it. I agree. Does it say something that they're the only club that have suffered at the hands of the go-home factor to Gold Coast? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you, the, the other giveaway here too is age and games in terms of um, lists. They're mid-table in both age of their list and uh, games experience. So you would have thought, I mean, they were reasonably old, but you would have thought if you're having a pretty... Uh, comprehensive turnover, you end up at least in the lower half of those age and games experience brackets, and they're not. So we're dancing around the main question here, because the main question is the coach in two more years. Yeah. They, their signing of Ross Lyon caught the football world, certainly caught St Kilda off guard, mm. and it was a real coup. Yeah. He was considered one of the game's great thinkers yeah. and got them into that grand final. 
now we're three years hence, and this club is floundering. Two years left on his contract. Do they honour that two years, or should, um, you know, potentially should... Uh, he fall on the same sword that extracted him from St Kilda. It's so hard to answer that question unless you're privy to the inner machinations of the club. Um, I must say right at the moment, I tend to think that if they could afford it, they might be better off doing that. I qualify that by saying the big mistake here hasn't been the initial signing of Ross Lyon. That was a coup. The big mistake has been re-signing him on such a, a long-term yeah. yes, that's right. deal. Because I, remember, his first season, they make finals, get to the second week of the finals. Grand final in the second year. 2014, we're in the finals again. Uh, went out in straight sets. Um, and 2015, finished on top of the ladder. Yeah. What really worried me from the moment it happened was the extent of the decline from 2015 to 2016 they won they went from being a side that topped the ladder to a side that won four games that that was unprecedented in in what does the, that say well in the current in the current era of of the slow cycle the slow cycle being through draft and salary cap of teams slowly moving up and slowly Less slowly, but not as quickly as Fremantle, uh, relinquishing the crown. It was and remains alarming. Surely everybody understands that Ross Lyon was brought to Fremantle to win a premiership. The club's never won one, and he was viewed, even though he hadn't won a premiership at St Kilda, as a pointy end coach. Did anybody? There's no, there's no prehistory. There's no resume entry for Ross Lyon as a coach who rebuilds its side. Mm. He was at St Kilda. He took a promising team into, you know, within a kick of winning a couple of premierships. Yeah. no, I, He well, was taken to Fremantle. He was sort of snatched by Fremantle to do the same. And yet they offered him a long-term contract clearly when the club needed a rebuild. Yeah. And it's failing. I um I don't know. It's, they're so erratic. Everything about them in the last few years has been erratic. And I, I talked before about how at the start of last year, they got smashed in the first couple of games. Actually, did start throwing the kids in. Started playing a, a pretty exciting brand. I, I saw them beat Melbourne at the MCG, and they they looked terrific. But they, it's almost like as soon as they start succeeding with that, Ross goes, "Okay, we've got to go back to basics." And it's. it's I don't know, I sort of feel like Ross has become his own worst enemy. Anyway, look, it's an interesting question. I'm sure I, I did hear after their um, hideous loss to Hawthorne last Sunday night, I heard Paul Hayes will be talking about it, and he was certainly of the view that um, they should cut the cord. Well, I'll say against Hawthorne, Langdon, Lockie Neal and Dave Mundy were ball winners and all had games that, you know, they should be proud of, and beyond that, I can't name a single player in that side who touched the ball more than you know five times with purpose. Mm. It was the drop off was alarming. Yeah, no, they stunk it up, and that was the next home game after probably their best win of the season against Port Adelaide. So yeah. it says enough. All right, we're going to move on. On Footyology Media Watch. Ah, yes, the old media watch. We know they listen, Finey. They pretend they don't, but we know. We know they listen. So very good morning to uh, Rupert and Kerry. Hope you're <laughs> doing well, gents. 
Um, all right, uh, you wanted to set the agenda today. You've got a bit of a bee in your bonnet in a media issue. I've got a bit of a uh, a more fun slant after you go, so far away. Okay, we've got, as we know, a number of uh, ex-footballers currently holding down positions of special comments men in the game. Fox Football's coverage of football relies heavily on former footballers, and so does Channel 7's. The Friday night box is jam-packed with ex stars of the game, opining. And once you hang up your boots, of course you're expected to become impartial. And I think they do that fairly well. I I can't think of too many ex-players. Sure, when they're sort of put on the spot and their former team's playing, they admit that they've still got a soft spot. But I have no problem with impartiality. Can I just bump in really quickly? Do you reckon when people are choosing which coverage to watch yeah, or listen to in a radio sense, they add up the number of games or special comments, guys. Now, hang on, this station, they've got a total of 1,300 games. Oh, these guys have got 1,600 games experience. They must know more. I'm going to listen to them. No, I wouldn't say that, but they may... I was being facetious. I understand that. But they may look at the lineup and see a former star of a team that they barrack for and want to hear that voice because... That's funny because I'm always sort of more guided by whether the person uh, concerned can actually speak English. Yeah, that's probably a precursor. Assuming that they do, some people like to see what their former champions are up to, but I don't think it's a determining factor in which radio station you listen to necessarily. We know that the football broadcasts... uh, there's only really one broadcast, even though they're top-tailed and dressed up by different networks. So, in other words, Channel 7, their broadcast will be heard on Fox, but, quarter, you know, the sort of half-time break and before and after the game, you get the Fox team taking over. I want to go to the heart of my media watch this week is very much based on an inability by former players to separate themselves from the world of the footballer and be wholeheartedly part of the world of the broadcaster. And it really comes to play when they are pressed into comment on specific incidents that may result in suspensions for players, the incidents that really are the most talked about in a match of football. So these are, I think the moments when a special comments person is really called to action. You can ask, get a commentator, you know, commentating the game, but a past champion of the game, trusted with special comments, what he says next about a particular incident will go a long way to forming public opinion and may even have an impression on the match review officer or the tribunal. Jeez, you'd hope not. Well, I think it does. Well, okay. Because uh, I've got two incidents. All right, now I was going to say, can we have some specifics? I've got spots? two incidents from the weekend's football, both of which I think warranted suspensions. Okay, what were they? And the first was in the Friday night game between Sydney and Essendon, mm-hmm. and Devon Smith's... Oh, the trip? Yeah, a trip or, or kick. I mean, it was a, a, a thoughtless act, maybe a... Maybe the act of a frustrated footballer who wasn't getting as much of the ball as he had been used to. And just to quickly mention Devon Smith, he's had a magnificent season, by many people's estimation, leading the Crichton medal count for best and, he, and fairest. He ended up having a pretty And had a great game, second so. half. Yep. But in the first half was uncharacteristically Quiet. out of sorts. Yep. And um, late in that first half, 
he, after uh, I think a piece of play that might have resulted in a goal to the opposition or a point to Essendon, anyhow, it was a stoppage. And uh, one of his opponents was running back to position and he flung a leg out. Now, there was absolutely no call to do that. And interestingly, one of our favourites here in Special Commons, Dermot Brereton, was very harsh on it at half-time, saying, well, that has to be dealt with quite severely because that's the sort of thing that is the sort of, um, the what is it, the touch, what, what is it, the lights of fire? The wick, the the igniting of of emotions that really starts a melee and starts a bigger problem on the field. Although the, I can just can't, Remember who the Sydney player was, but they didn't react, did they? They no, just kept it running. Wasn't, it wasn't a major reaction, but it's not part of our game. And all right, I thought it might have been worth a week, maybe not worth a week. But I think it was Cameron Ling was immediately asked. It was for, Luke Parker, by the way? The was Sydney Luke Parker? Player, yeah. And so the special comments man on the spot, I'm pretty sure, was Cameron Ling, and he again deferred to this ridiculous sort of old boys club of footballers and former footballers is when he saw it and they went back and replayed it. So obviously this was picked up by the special comments men and they wanted, they asked the producer to go back and further investigate this. He, he made it very clear, gee, I don't like that. I don't like that at all. You know, we don't want to see that in the game. So he was very forthright in commenting on how much, out of, how out of place that was in football, how distasteful he thought it was. But then when specifically pressed on what should happen to Devon Smith, you give him a good ticking off. He goes, it's not worth a week. Uh, uh, you know. So when specifically putting a name to the, to, the, to the act, no suspension. But when talking about the act itself, we don't want to see that in football. That is absolutely unacceptable. Okay, so just to, you know, for people who've forgotten what happened, so uh, Michael Christian, the match review officer, um, charged Devin Smith with attempting to trip Luke Parker. Um, the upshot was a $1,000 sanction with an early plea, so it was a fixed sanction of 1500 and the early plea brought it down to $1,000. Um, okay, two things here. One... If if Christian thought it wasn't worth a week, couldn't you argue that what Lingy said was right? Secondly, um, if you do think he squibbed it there, did he do so because of the player brotherhood or because he had that little flash of, oh, if I say he should go for that, I'm going to end up being quoted in the in the media? I think that's that's very much drives to the heart of this discussion. Now, if he didn't think it was a serious incident. Then why did he come on? Why did they replay it a couple of times? Because this was actually played more than one time in the replay. It was a bit of a a uh, talking point at half time in the game. Yeah. And why was his initial comments on the act so forthright? Well, I I, I just ask you the question. I think that's what happened. I I don't think it was. I think it's less this. Oh, you know, I'm not going to dob a guy in. I think it was more. The initial reaction was what he really felt, and then he had this momentary flash where everyone will be talking about it, and they go, you know, Ling says Smith should get awake, and I have some sympathy for that, and I'm, he, he, I guess, if you're doing that role, you have to be prepared to wear that, but I can understand how, uh, just in that 
heat of the moment, you go, oh god, and you sort of qualify and backtrack a bit. Okay, so let's, do you think they all do that? Yeah, I think I think they all backtrack a bit. Is there no no former player on the special comments who is prepared to come out and say that was crap? He should get. They only do that when it is an absolute act of you like know, Barry Hall hitting Brent yeah, Staker. When or it's something. a clear act. So we with the Harris incident. Um, Harris Andrews. Harris Andrews, yeah, yeah and Jeremy Cameron. Yeah. Uh, everybody quickly got on to how long he's going to be out for. Yeah. So incident number two, and this is really interesting because in this case, the player was given a week, took it to the tribunal and ended up getting off, is Charlie Curnow on Stephen May. And in this case, I think it's less a matter of the brotherhood. It's another thing that I really don't like in special comments, and that is certain special comments people, after you know maybe six months, a year in the job, start to be given a persona, start to live up to a persona of which they are portrayed in being presented as a special comments person. Yeah. And I believe one of those people is Jonathan Brown of the former Brisbane champ. And I'll ask you, Rowan, what is his persona? What is Jonathan Brown um, oh, presented, the, presented as in the, special comments? The tough guy. Correct. Yeah. The big hard man. That wasn't rocket science, really. No, but but do you think he lives up to that in how he watches a game of football? Um, Plays up to it, even. Well, it depends how you frame that, because if you... Yeah, yeah, I, I see where you're going here. So if you're framing it in terms of being feel a fearless special comments person, no. If you frame it in terms of he's a tough guy, so you win him and wear him, yes. Exactly. So, so there's a big contradiction there. So Stephen May clears the ball from deep in the Gold Coast's defensive zone against Carlton early on in the game, and Charlie Curnow arrives late, and he arrives with a forearm. Yeah. Now, Stephen May is a bit of a warrior. He wears it, he feels it, but he doesn't crumple under the attack, and he stays on the field. I can tell you he felt it, and he wore it, because for the rest of the game, he goes on a um, bit of a rampage to Stephen May. First, he dumps... Kurnow a couple of times and he's moved to the other end of the ground where he's equally as dangerous. It certainly ruffled his feathers. But in that actual incident, they replay it and Jonathan Brown provides special comments along the lines of, oh, that was late. That was, oh, have a look at that. But, and then he follows up by saying, he's all right, Stephen, mate. All clear. Play on. Get on with the game. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. What sort of special comment is that? <laughs> oh, get on with the, you know, all good, play on, get on with the game. All right, well, I'm going to throw you under the bus now. So you're saying Brownie is soft? Absolutely not. I'm <laughs> saying that Brownie no longer plays football. His boots are long packed away. But you are saying, you're saying in a special comment sense, he's soft. No, I'm saying that he's playing up to the fact that he's tough and hits behind player all clear, play on, let's get on with it. Yeah, but if he was a fearless special comments man, he'd say he's got to go. He, he oh, you're backtracking, Finey. No, no, he might call it being fearless. I rail against all of this suspension and free kick malarkey. <laughs> I'm a tough man. I think he's become a, a caricature of himself. Do you? Yeah, yeah, in certain ways. I think he's actually like that. <laughs> like I, I honestly do. Can um, I te- can I tell you that for many years, I really like Brownie. I've yeah, got to say that for a long time, 
one of my favourites, Dermot Brereton, was was um, also struck down with the same condition. Oh, but, you reckon Derm's that he changed. always that he yeah I think he has changed. So you reckon the more you're separated from your time in a game, correct? That, yeah, okay, correct. But there was certainly a time when any incident was shown, and Dermot Burden always um, was on the f- sort of outlier response to cop it, you know, cop wear it and cop wear it and grin, you know. Yeah, what happens on the field stays on the field. Yeah, that sort of stuff. Now, all I'm saying is that if so- <coughs> oh, pardon me, if somebody's there for special comments, I'm the one who's sick, you. not you. Um, all I'm saying is, somebody's there for a special comments purpose, then you know you can't be you can't be um, favouring players because you just simply don't want to be the man who shot the person who shot Bambi's mother. Yeah. Make a very clear distinction. Not shot Bambi. I think it's Bambi's mother. And, you know, so you don't want to be, as you said, with the Lingy incident, Ling says Smith should get a game. He gets a game and then Devin Smith forever, when he crosses Lingy's path, you know, sneers at him and it's uncomfortable. And nor do I think it's responsible to always defer to, you know, when I played, that was play on type of mentality either. Yeah. No, it's an interesting one. I'm just saying that it happens. Keep an eye out for it. Uh, that was me coughing then. Sorry. Uh, it is that time of the year. All right. No, interesting stuff, Finey. I thought we might just lighten the mood a little bit. Um, actually, you mentioned something there. Oh, I talked about Devin Smith calling him out. There was a bit of calling out by players on experts going on after the Essendon Sydney game. Did you see that? Michael Hurley was interviewed by Fox Footy. No, and uh, the guys in the studio were interviewing him, and Ruzi, Paul Ruse was one of them. And Ruzi, it's fair to say, um, I think a few Essendon people feel like Ruzi never gives them that much credit. And you also had the added complication of the Swans playing this game as well. But um, Michael Hurley copped a, a bit of criticism earlier in the year about not being defensive enough, not uh, minding his opponents. Um, Intently enough, and so Ruse, uh, I actually, Ruse hadn't said anything, but they asked Michael Hurley a question, and he said, Yeah, look, it was upsetting early in the year, and uh, I remember Ruse said that uh, I couldn't mind a baby in a pram, and they all, <laughs> they all broke up, and it's fair to say the camera went on Ruse, and Ruse was a bit sort of, I don't know if the word's chastened, but it was sort of like, Oh, yeah, okay, he's caught me out here, and then he, I mean, to his credit, he sort of came back and Said, oh no! Look, you, you've been, you've done a really good job. But it was, it was interesting. They don't, uh, they don't forget. Um, but there was, you mentioned Dermy. A couple of observations about Derm. I was watching the Saturday stretch last Saturday night, and that's the post-game review thing they have with Derm, Brad Johnson, and Neroli Meadows. Pretty good show. It's a pretty comprehensive wrap up of the the day in footy. Um, but people keep making the comparisons between Dermy and Ric Flair, the wrestler, and I think they put up a picture, and it's it's getting a bit that way. And Dermy's hair at the back, it looks really stiff. It's sort of like it's had so much product product and bleach applied to it over the years that if he washes it again, it's going to break. His hair's going to break. So he might want to watch that. Uh, sorry, Derm. 
Um, but I do want to refer to this. There was a fantastic moment in the uh, West Coast North Melbourne game in Hobart on Sunday, half time, and Derm and Alistair Lynch are doing a quick summary before they go to the break. And I was sitting there sort of half watching it and uh, just managed to look up at the right time. And Lynchy uh, got his words a bit jumbled and he wanted to talk about how with Nat Nui out injured, there'd be a lot of focus on Scott Lysette and how he went in the ruck. Anyway, he basically contracted a whole sentence so that he got the start of the word focus and the end of the word Lysette. So he said, uh, we're going to... And Derm had to uh, either react or keep going. So Derm, with considerable professionalism, I might add, you just got a little smirk on Derm's face and it, there was this blink like, okay, okay, I'm going to keep... I'm going to keep going, and he managed to. Fortunately, they went to some footage, so the next time he spoke, you didn't see his face, but he managed to keep it together. It was pretty well done. So was it, so he said effort. Yeah. F. Yeah. Dot dot dot. Is. Yeah. 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 <laughs> very very <laughs> clearly. Well, I I probably didn't help things here because I thought it was so good. I decided to rewind that bit of TV, filmed it on my phone, and tweeted it. And uh, a bit of a comment on social media. People love bloopers, don't they? So yep. you could tweet the most profound thing, which Carl's doing now. You know, I just want to tell everyone, every time we record this, Carl Bianco, our master producer, spends the entire time writing stuff on his mobile phone. And I it always wonder, well, I wonder whether it's a, a caption for a cat video, some rumination on modern living, or whether, I don't know, he's writing the Communist Manifesto or something. One day we'll get him to tell us, but I do wonder what goes on on Carl's phone whilst we're talking. Anyway, however, I digress yet again. Um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, like people... Bloopers. Yeah, people... Uh, you can write the most profound thing on Twitter and, you know, a few people say, oh, yeah, yeah, no, fair enough. You put up a cat video or a blooper video, it goes mad. So I haven't looked for a few days, but last time I looked, that little footage I put up there, it had sort of been liked about 3,000 times and retweeted about 500 times. Uh, and it was brought up in the, the papers on Monday. Um, it did make me think of, of great bloopers of the past, finding, and there's been some rippers. I think the one everyone else was throwing up after Lynch's effort was Jared Healy. I think it was 2012, and uh, he and Anthony Hudson and Danny Frawley were out on the MCG to do an intro to a game between Gold Coast and Melbourne, and didn't get off to a great start. They threw to Hutto, and Hutto said, well, you know, welcome to the MCG, and Jared, blah, blah, blah. And you could tell Jared had momentarily forgotten Hutto's name, so that sort of rattled him a bit. Then he started in the same breath talking about Gold Coast, and he got caught between saying Gold Coast and the Suns. So he ended up saying the Gold Seas. And uh, unlike Doom, uh, Hutto couldn't keep it together. So it's on YouTube if you haven't, if one of the two people in the world that haven't seen it. Um, Hutto completely loses his you-know-what, and uh, uh, they, they went on. So that's one of my favourite ones. Uh, there's been a couple of good radio ones in the, in the recent um, in recent times. I was working for 3AW one night when Shane McInnes was calling a game between Sydney and Geelong. And he must have been talking about Taylor Hunt, but uh, Hunt and Cats, I think he might have contracted those two words. 
Um, and uh, I think Carmichael Hunt has been the subject of a couple of... One of my favourites, actually, again, on 3RW, and it was Tony Shaw talking about Ben Cunnington uh, among a group of North Melbourne young players. It must have been a fair while ago. He was talking about their young players, and he mentioned Cunnington. But he rattled off a list. He said, uh, uh, Zeeble, Bastanak, Cunt, and he didn't say Cunnington. He said Cunnington, and then he said, <laughs> then he, he made it worse by trying to correct himself, and he called him C. Ingham, and then he did it about three times, and every time he tried to correct himself, he said it again. And finally, Tim Lane was hosting, and Tim Lane goes, eh, and they cut to a break. But I've, I've kept the audio of that one because it's one of my favourites. Bloopers. Of course, finally, the prince of uh, bloopers, Sandy Roberts at the Mount Gambier races for a Channel 7 regional station, I think, in 1981. I think it was before he even came to Melbourne. Um, but he was emceeing for the day, and I, I've got it on tape somewhere. I still remember it. It is on YouTube. It's, uh, well, time now for Fashions on the Field as uh, we introduce um, Miss Australia in Leanne Cock, uh, uh, Leanne Dick, I should say, <laughs> and uh, what what we might do. And that went on for about the next 30 seconds. Uh, and uh, World of Sport, whilst that was still going, never missed an opportunity to bring up that bit of footage. All fun, and uh, hopefully we won't now promptly drop the magic. I mean, for me, the, but we all love the famous misread on Sports Tonight by Tim Webster. When we come back from the break, Collingwood captain Nathan Buckley has resigned. <laughs> yes. Three ads, four ads, come back. He doesn't apologise. Nathan Buckley, Collingwood captain, has resigned for two years. <laughs> So, Very important things, was, hyphens. That was famous. And then there was a a horse sort of cheekily named in England, a hurdler, called Run for Cuts. <laughs> now, you'd think that the people who named Run for Cuts knew what they were doing. But um, let's just say halfway through the race, the race caller said the following line. This is a bloody fit-up. They're trying to get me sacked. I'm just calling it number seven till we fly. <laughs> a very wise course of action. All right, we're going to move on. On Footyology, previews with Punch. Ah, uh, well, massive round 20 coming up. They're all massive this time of year, but uh, some particularly critical games in terms of the eight. Let's start Friday night, big Friday night game at the G. Richmond taking on Geelong, a uh, rematch of that uh, qualifying final last year. And if you use that as a guide, there's only one tip you can come up with here because Richmond were terrific that night. In fact, probably the scores are a bit deceptive in the end. It was a bit of an arm wrestle, but then when Richmond broke it open, they really broke it open. Of course, the Tigers now holders of the world record four consecutive wins at the MCG with 18. And the Cats, um, I haven't been convinced by the Cats most of this season, I have to be honest. Um, Richmond, if you had that feeling, yeah, they might be ripe for the picking. I'd be tempted to go the upset, but I can't see it finding. I just thought it was another clinical display by them. They absorbed 
what Collingwood had to throw up against them and then another one of those power-packed last quarters, I'm going with Richmond. For mine, everything that I hold true about Richmond being a dominant team at the MCG and other sides getting lost there, especially a team that plays on a ground that is very different to the MCG because uh, GMHBA is as long as the MCG, but it's really quite a narrow ground yep. by modern standards. Comes home to roost when Richmond play at the G. So I tip Richmond. I tip them confidently. And if Richmond did not win this game, I would have to rethink exactly how strong that Richmond domination there is. In other words, I call Richmond here a certainty. Okay, um, another massive game at the same venue, Saturday afternoon, one forty-five. The old rivals, finally, Hawthorne and Essendon. Massive for both clubs. Um, Essendon can't drop a game, simple as that, if they're going to be any chance of making the eight. Um, the Hawks could probably get away with losing one of their last four, but I, I'm tipping they don't want it to be this one. Uh, there's still a fair bit of healthy dislike of each other as far as those clubs go. Hawks got the Bombers earlier in the year when Essendon were playing really ordinary footy and handled them very comfortably. Different kettle of fish now. That win over Sydney by the Bombers was as good a win as I've seen Essendon side pull for years and years. They were, um, they didn't get banged for their buck on the scoreboard, but they really dominated play. I thought the midfield was great. Thought the forward setup was really uh, potent. Uh, Tom Bell Chambers slaying him in the ruck. Hawthorne very very capable. Their best is good enough to push any side in the top eight. Um, but I actually think right at the moment Essendon is a tad more consistent. And Hawthorne has basically had the wood over the Bombers for a fair while. But I'm confident enough in the level of footy Essendon's playing consistently now to go for the Dons here. Always an interesting game. Obviously, they built up that rivalry in the 80s and it was reignited with the line in the sand. You're right, there is something extra special when these two teams meet and that becomes relevant when both the teams are striving for the same spot. I don't think they can both make the eight, but I think one of them can, which makes this a final. And I'm going to go for the Bombers. Winning habits are good habits and I really like the way they have sorted out uses for McKenna and Saad off the half-back line. I think in the first half of the year, it was three blind mice, and, and uh, you know, had a touch of them running into each other. And now, uh, they use each other actually really well. So, you know, you've got the the carrier, the torpedo, and you've got the defender, and they switch roles. And I think that's been sorted out to Essendon's benefit. The forward line is fascinating because we've lost Danaher, we've lost McKernan, and it's still potent. Thank you, Orazio. I tip Essendon. Okay. Uh, Gabba, uh, 2.10 on Saturday afternoon. Brisbane taking on North Melbourne. Uh, Brisbane, okay down at Geelong. They weren't smashed. They were uh, you know, within a kick of the lead at half time. Ruse, uh, very dominant display down in Hobart against West Coast. West Coast efficiency probably kept them in it on the balance of play uh, north were dominant um, so good win for them they've got to keep winning as well and, and have you ever seen an odds differential change in an instant north melbourne were favorites to win this game mm. i think they were a dollar i think they were a dollar 80 they were a dollar 80 and then bang higgins they announced that higgins isn't playing and all of a sudden brisbane are a dollar 80 
Oh, really? Yeah, bang, yeah, bang. Okay. Yeah, no, well, it, he has been massive for him. I don't know if he's necessarily the difference between winning or losing, though. I'm going to keep the faith with the Roos. I reckon they've been pretty solid for the best part, and uh, I reckon they're good enough to win even at the Gabba. I'm going to tip North Melbourne because I think Brisbane... Look, in racing terms, if Brisbane were a racehorse, you'd probably turn it out for four or five weeks. It's... It, it was racing well. Just the last couple of starts, it looks like it needs the paddock. You know, just, you know, they've, they've peaked and they've just been hanging in there for a couple of weeks. So with more to play for against a slightly, you know, spent Brisbane, I'm tipping north. All right, showdown time, 4.35 uh, Melbourne time, Saturday afternoon, Adelaide take on Port Adelaide. First bout this season for mine, if not the best game of the year, certainly in the best two or three. Absolute rip-snorting game in which, uh, what happened? Port were almost three goals up with five minutes to play. The Crows kicked three goals, hit the front, and then uh, Steve Motlop got them up in the last minute. A classic game. Um, I think these circumstances are a bit different now. Adelaide's gone in terms of the eight. They know that. Um, Port... Really strong chance not only to be top four, but perhaps top two. So they need to make every post a winner in order to do that. Um, I think they'll win this one. I think this might be the game where the, not the bottom drops out, but I think you might see a fairly disheartened Adelaide, and I think Port might win this one well. I think you're right. I think as much as showdowns, derbies are supposed to be form guide out the window type of games, I also think that Adelaide have been hanging on by a gossamer thread for a few weeks. Gossamer, like it. That thread has been broken. Some people say there's still mathematically a chance, but I agree with you. I think that um, just in their within their honest selves, they know it's over, and that'll play out during the showdown. I'm with you. Port Adelaide, not a thrashing, but a, at arm's length, Six-goal win. Okay, Saturday night. We've got uh, one good game and one dud. The dud. Uh, I reckon they should call this the Disappointment Cup, Finey. Yep. The two most disappointing sides of 2018, your Saints and the Western Bulldogs. What happens? I think St Kilda can win. I think through the disappointment, maybe of the finish, the effort has been there. You know, So the results haven't been great. But again, against GWS, dominated the first half. The lack of class up the front end comes to tell both. It's the first disposal. It's the first disposal, not inside fifty in their attacking half. So they can't hit a target well. They can't kick a goal well, but they can certainly compete well. And from through all their disappointment, they've maintained a good level of competitiveness and, and ball winning ability. And in the last five weeks, they've lost a couple of games to teams that they should lose to, but they have beaten teams that they should have beaten. So I think St Kilda will win this. Yeah, I think they will too. Uh, Bulldogs, uh, I watched the entirety of that Bulldogs-Port game. Bulldogs just can't play any more than two and a half quarters these days. It's ridiculous. So um, St Kilda have been solid enough of late, and I think that'll be converted into a win for them. Now, the the big Saturday night game, Sydney and Collingwood at the SCG. What is going on with the Swans? They've now lost four out of five. Um, Pies, 
no luck on the injury front for them. Um, tragic for Matt Scharenberg, obviously terrible news for him. Um, still got a lot of players to return. How many and how quickly they bring them back is going to be very interesting to watch. Swans have got a heap of injured players too. Fewer though, structurally, perhaps just as, if not more important. Um, I think the Swans, they've got such a tough run, including this game. I think they're actually going to miss the eight for the second time in 16 years. Their record on the SCG this season is terrible. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily that the ground doesn't suit them. It's just a a, a twist of fate, if you like. But I, I think the Pies are playing good enough footy to win this one, even away from home. I'm going for Collingwood. I've got no problems tipping Collingwood in this one because Sydney, any... Uh, hold that they held over oppositions coming to the SCG surely has been dissolved as they lose game after game at the SCG and their last game there was against Gold Coast and they lost it so why would you bother about putting a home ground advantage into the mix Collingwood are on a mission and Sydney are on a course of self-destruction game by game they seem to be less the swans that we know Collingwood for mine all right Sunday afternoon Eddie had stadium 1 10 p.m Carlton taking on GWS now just as I read that out I thought that rings a bell and it does because this was a game that GWS was it last season they dropped they, they dropped yeah they and that yeah, that has been my reservation with the Giants. They'll just drop the odd one that they shouldn't, sort of lose focus, try and be a bit too clever, play too pretty football. I think perhaps the advantage for them this year is having started so poorly, they've really had to make every post a winner in the run home, and they appear to be doing that. Solid enough win over the Saints. Um, Blues last week, well... Um, I don't know. What do, you, what, what do you make of this guy? Oh, nice for the Blues to get a win. You know, they knocked off the Gold Coast Suns, and in doing so, uh, eased some of the pressure on Brendan Bolton. He was able to smile again, that chirpy little character. Do they have a post-win letdown? Post-win letdown, they lose by 100. Post-win surge, they lose by 30. So you're after yeah. a tip, and I've tipped GWS. Yeah, no, fair enough. All right, um, 3.20, the mid-Sunday game, and is Melbourne, <laughs> the the Jared Healy game, Melbourne taking on Gold Coast at the MCG. More than Jared Healy, you'll be using that word if Melbourne lose. Yeah, well, they won't, will they? No, they won't. In fact, you, you can see the Suns getting absolutely creamed in their last few games, can't you? Yeah, especially because Melbourne, uh, early, sort of mid-season, started getting an appetite for big wins. You know, Melbourne, not characteristically a side that had put teams away. No, you're right. Are the highest scoring team in the competition, and they did so on the back of finishing off teams really well. So times and margins, please. Melbourne by 82. Uh, Melbourne by 60. And uh, it wraps up with the Derby or Derby, if you're... uh if you're from WA, you call it a derby. Yeah, well, we're, we're not, and we call it if a derby. If you're from WA, you're different to us. And, uh, yeah, I know. I know. Um, I've, yeah, look, the, the story with this one has been of late. Fremantle has gone until recently. Fremantle has dominated in recent years, but West Coast have turned that around again. Um, it's just a disparity of motivation here, isn't there? Freo, we talked about at the top of the show, yeah. And West Coast, I think, um, now obviously we're doing this before teams are announced, but Kennedy... Still no Kennedy. Still no Kennedy. 
So they can, they have to get it done without him, but I think they can. Um, they'll be pretty determined to atone for a, a pretty ordinary effort in Hobart last week and Frio, uh, going nowhere fast. I, I think West Coast will win it well. Yeah, I was pretty damning of West Coast last week. I thought that they landed in Hobart, a team that just knew they weren't going to win and played accordingly. But normally, as I say, derbies and showdowns have a life of their own and, Often the way of the tipster has been think who should win and tip the other team. But now I actually believe that there's enough of a gulf in talent between these two teams that no matter how much a derby brings out the best in the underdog, the overdog will win this. So I am going for the overdog or the uberdog Vascost Eagles. All right, there's previews with Punch Done and Dusted. Let's bring it on home. On Footyology, never again. All right, as you know, I often struggle with this segment. Well, I'm struggling uh, with some validity today because I feel like death. So my never again is, I'm never getting sick again. I have a long and proud record of not being a sickly sort of person. Other people who I'm close to are quite the opposite. And I get so sick of listening to them talk about being sick that I think it spurs me on to fight through pain and fight through illness. And that's what I'm doing, because I've got a pretty ordinary worgy. Let me tell you, I'm coughing up chunks, and oh. I'm not breathing properly. Get on with it. And uh, So never again will I get sick. And if I start to feel like I'm getting sick, I'm just going to bust through the barrier, Finey, because it ain't good. Okay, good. The Power of Positive Thinking by Rowan Conley. My never Don't again. hear that often. No, that's right. Glass half full, man. What's your saying? Uh, I'm not even a glass man. Yeah, no, I, no, I'm not a glass half empty man. My glass never had anything in it. Yeah, that's right. You never even had the glass. Okay, my never again is I never again want to hear commentators referring to the commentator's curse or the belief that a commentator actually has some over influence over how a, how a player kicks a ball or kicks for goal. What do you commentators think you are? Some, some superpower, some sort of god that actually influences from inside the commentary booth how somebody kicks a goal? Because yeah, well, give, them a, do. give them a rap, and they'll always come back to haunt you. Where in fact, if you have a look statistically, guys having a shot at goal, probably the guy that you've given the rap isn't as good as you thought he was, or the angle was more difficult than you thought it was. Just know this, commentators, right? When you claim that it was the commentator's curse that made a player miss a shot for goal, remember that there are six or seven commentators commentating on that game at any one time from maybe four radio stations and a TV network, something along those lines. So was it you that cursed them? Was it maybe another commentator that cursed them? Or was it simply just a coincidence so all those commentators out there that think that you are the reason somebody misses a shot for goal, I never want to hear that again. Oh, no, good call, good call. And um, I think they need to talk about themselves a bit more, Fanny. I, I don't reckon we get enough of the personalities of the commentators coming through oh, the yeah, call yeah. of the game. I control how somebody kicks simply by giving them a rap. And if you're someone who follows me on Twitter, yes, I was being facetious there. Um, you don't get a sarcasm font on Twitter, which I find often to my detriment. All right, that's it for this week. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Hope you have a great weekend of footy. Uh, and uh, your team, if it needs a win, I hope they get one. We'll see you again 
next week.